I am unashamed. What about you? Welcome back to Unashamed. We've got a little different setup today. We do. I'm up here in uh, North Carolina land with, with Zach in the studio. So Welcome. We had to rearrange some stuff. I always like being up here with my North... I call my hillbilly family now because yeah. they're up here in the hills. My sinuses get dried out. I have a few issues, but uh, we're up, we were up here for a wedding. And Jace, I noticed you weren't here, but you were represented because your daughter... Mia was in the wedding party. She so. was here. She wow. was here. My daughter has did. become just an international traveler. <laughs> Every time she I stayed, look up, she's, she's she stayed at the house. I will say this, uh, Jace, uh, 3.45 a.m., Mia and some of the camp girls roll roll in. So they did wake me up about 3.45 in, in the morning. But, uh, hey, they were with good people, so... You know, having well, a good time. And I just Usually, say, when young college age people roll in at three forty-five, <laughs> that's a sign of something terrible that just happened. You, usually, it is, but I, but I, I can verify they they had, so they left the, they left the house at eleven thirty. They said we're going to go hang out with our camp friends from Camp Chioka, and because all the camp people came in for the wedding, Layla got married, my daughter, um, and they were staying forty-five minutes away. So they drove forty-five minutes. And then, and then they drove. Then they hung out and drove back. So they got here almost four in the morning. Yeah. So. Well, and you know it was interesting because the wedding was. I mean, it was hopping. They had a band in. They were playing. It was mostly Motown. You know, just stuff everybody loves. Yeah. And the thing is hopping. And Gordon looked over at me. He said, "I mean, can you imagine? This is all happening with no alcohol." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> the, the, the band, I mean, because it was hopping and jumping and people were dancing and it was like, it's happening and there wasn't a drop of alcohol there. There's a lot of energy in the room. There's a sure. lot of energy. But I have to say, Zach, I, I'll brag on you because Layla's wedding was one of the most spiritual, um, godly experiences that I've ever been to. And I've done a lot of weddings. And uh, just the whole thing, I, you know, Zach gave her away, he prayed over, and I don't know, it was just really touching, the whole thing and their vows, and it was just a very spiritual experience, would be the way I'd describe it. So I was, it was, it was uplifting. I'm well, thank you. Yeah, it was really thank good. You. And who did the ceremony? Did I miss that? So, so Ben did it, and it was interesting, because Ben texted me. The which, day, is, which is my brother-in-law. Right, that's Melissa's husband. And so he texted me the day before, he said, I want to warn you, Al, that you're probably going to recognize a lot of my content at the wedding tomorrow. <laughs> so he, then he said, ha ha. <laughs> so I knew what that meant, you know, cause I'd send him notes a while back and, uh, he ripped, he ripped your side. Basically he did my, my wedding, but, but you know how I took that listening to it. It was like totally, I was humbled and honored. I mean, it was like, you know, it's something you've done your life and kind of this compilation of, of wedding notes. Cause I've done so many weddings through the years. Yeah. When somebody takes that and then uses it in the next generation, I mean, that's a very humbling thing. So I, I kind of took it, Dad, as this uh, next generation look. You know, I thought, well, that's that's really cool that things that you've compiled from other people through the years and used in ministry, now they're carrying that forward. So I've used your notes. I've Because when I was when I did the college ministry at WFR, I preached a lot of weddings. Yeah. So when I when Ben got about I'd say about twenty percent into his 
sermon. I thought I've I've heard this before. <laughs> he knew where yeah. he was going. At first, I thought it was a, that's he, he stole my sermon. Then I realized, well, no, actually, I stole Al's sermon. Yeah, that's what you both stole. Yeah. Well, actually, well, I, we're we're all stealing God's sermon. I mean, that should be exactly. our, our prayer, exactly. which is you know, I'm going to use a lot of your stuff here, Lord, over <laughs> yes. and over again. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's what I said. You know, it's not like we're the Harvard professor. You can't really plagiarize when the Holy Spirit's behind the whole thing. I mean, that's true. ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit's work. And so I got it from other people, my mentors, and so it's good to see it carry forward. But it was a great experience. It was fun, it's, but spiritual and, and godly at the same time, which is it's hard to pull off, you know, for Christians a lot of times. But that's what the wedding was. So it was well worth the trip up here. I know y'all were upset y'all couldn't make it, though, but I know y'all probably— Yeah, I'm sure they sent notes. Yeah. So I, I told Gordon that Dad was this close. I was like, he he was right there at the cusp of coming up, but then I guess something came up. So yeah, is that true, Dad? Well, looking at it from an older point of view, what I was alluding to a while ago, when Jesus was resurrected, and all throughout the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John— We've been looking at what he said. Well, it's, what's interesting is that the 11 disciples went to Galilee. This is the end of Matthew chapter 28. Jesus had told them to go. When This is the first sighting for this group. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Now check this out. But some doubted about what's going on here. Well, they, well, there is a group to this day that doubt the power of all this coming together. And a wedding would be a good place to go. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I have all the authority in the cosmos, which is quite a statement. Therefore, our job, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, as these things, the weddings that you see, and the people worshiping God and believing in Jesus. And such will be with you always. And then he says this, to the very end of the age. So there was a, there's a time that was implemented just prior to Jesus' resurrection, and that's what he said. Well, if you look at it, that's exactly what's happened. Yep. To the very end of the age. It's, it's the end of the age. It's got me a little bit confused on to the end of the age to what? Because he's, he's told them that he's paid for their sins. They can be, he'll take their sins away and he'll raise them from the dead. And there's going to be an age, I don't know how long it's going to last, maybe to modern day. But uh, I'm not quite sure in my head. And surely I will be with you. He said, just go out and preach the gospel, baptize people. I surely will be with you always to the very end of the age. Just what is he talking about there? That's a very good It's the age without Jesus in person. He's yeah. been there for 33, 34 years. He is leaving, going back into the somewhere out in the cosmos or everywhere at once, whatever you, whatever your take, take is on that. 
But uh, I just found that interesting, that there is an end coming, coming from the time Jesus said that till now. There is an end of all this to come. Is that yeah. is that fair enough? Yes. No, it is. And it actually That's is. That's pretty powerful I, little statement there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's exactly where we are in our text in Luke as well, because he's going to describe eventually we're going to get there, probably not today, but eventually we're going to get there in, in chapter 21. He's going to describe what the end of one age looks like which then would tell me that's the beginning of something new. I mean, the temple's coming down. There's going to be a lot of major changes here. I mean, well, but you also... Some are still doubting it, and they they rode with him up to here. But but to this day, there are doubters in and among the premises, if you you understand what I'm talking about. But I think also, speaking of marriage, you know, what a we're sitting here celebrating this recent marriage and and saying how spiritual it was. You know, we left off in 2023, I guess. Now that we're in 2024, yep. With you know the Sadducees coming up there and using something that was intended to be beautiful, marriage, yeah, a, yeah. A, as a trap when things go eerily wrong. And you can't have a wedding without liquor. Yeah. If you work at it. <laughs> True. But <laughs> we did it. I, I just saw it. I witnessed it. It happened. <laughs> well, what's interesting, though, is, you know, Jesus' first miracle was actually adding liquor to the wedding. <laughs> that yeah. is true. Uh, nothing wrong with having wine at the wedding. There's nothing He's, wrong with it. We just didn't have it. Layla and Dawson didn't want it. And then I looked at the, the tab of what it would have been with alcohol and i said hey i'm, I'm well so jace you'll appreciate this well i walked in you know i walked up to zach and i said zach uh, so how are you feeling today you know because i'm there an hour before the wedding you're about to give away your oldest daughter to another man and he, you're about to become the patriarch in your own family and so i said how are you feeling he said poorer <laughs> well, zach let me let me ask you something yes sir hey how does it feel for things to move that rapidly the last time I saw your children, they were just—I mean, I've seen them, seen them since. But, but, but it happened fast. It, it, does it happen fast? I mean, it's sobering. Just, it is just a sobering four, reality. And now you're one of them. Uh, outside of Closo, is Jace behind Al, Willie, uh-oh, uh-oh. and Chip? Well, <laughs> and their children being married, and yours is too. How fast did that seem to happen? Very fast. In my opinion is you become a patriarch when your children begin to start getting married and then having their own children because that's what's happened in our family, Dad. All your children now are their own patriarchs and matriarch for Phyllis because now we have our own married children and grandchildren. So what's interesting is you're still with us so you're still the patriarch. Mom's still our matriarch, but what, yep. we're our patriarchs as well. Yep. I mean, you've lived long enough now to watch that happen, and you just saw it at Christmas. So for the audience's perspective, last I know you've been listening to us right up till today, but we haven't filmed since Christmas and recorded. So we all had Christmas together. Well, Dad, you didn't even know. Did you know everybody in that house? That, no. I mean, like. No. <laughs> I mean, they, I'm just looking, were... watching it, and it seemed to have happened. 
along with what Jack just said, it just seems so quickly that our children are marrying and, and goodbye family as far as, you know, the, the childhood and being raised and how well did it turn out because a lot of a multitude of individuals have had a lot of static up to the point where they get married, that age group. Well, see, you answered your own question. You know you're getting at the end of the age if you feel like we need name tags for everyone <laughs> I'm just saying it. it's your old family a, Christmas I didn't have an answer for Phil's question I mean, but I like that answer I'm looking, I, I mean I'm looking at our children getting married and the only thing I can think of is just it's shockingly wonderful to watch but but boy what a well to your point Phil we had at least five gatherings family gatherings in the week of Christmas, yeah, because all the families are so big, yep, and and we had one huge one. Yeah, I was two, like, two days after Christmas <laughs> on the twenty seventh yeah. with with everybody. And Phil, don't feel bad. There were a few people there that I did not know, but well, I, I had to meet because it's you're meeting new boyfriends, new girlfriends, new babies that have been born since the last time we were together, and so it becomes a thing. Let's let's take our first break. So our friends uh, at Samaritan Ministries are here because of the unexpected medical bills uh, that we get. Chase, have you ever had any well, experience there, with that? Well, so I have a daughter who gets a lot of medical bills. And so here's what I do. I get the bill, I look at it and go, woo, and I hand it to my wife. <laughs> That's the process. So there is something that Samaritan Ministries can help me with. <laughs> Because that is that's what I do. I think they're more on the what happens next part of that. Yeah, they're, which, they're, they're in between. Well, they're in between the Missy and the and the getting payments. And well, the, and guess you're, what? You're, they're in between Missy and the healthcare. People. Consider you're it in a, the mail room. Consider it a drum roll. So we know Jace's approach. We got to go a little deeper. So that's why we need our friends, uh, Samaritan Ministries, and Lisa and I have. We are a part of this ministry. Um, it's part of the Christian community. You get a, you have this medical bill that comes in. There's no network, so you're in control of, you know, where you go, doctors, hospitals, treatments. And what I love about it is, is it really is a biblical approach about bearing one another's burdens. And so we send a check in. We send it to actually people uh, that have a need. So you can join today. Uh, you start your healthcare sharing with Samaritan Ministries the day you complete your membership application. Um, and choose what month you'd like to start, it's totally up to you. Whatever the unexpected thing is, uh, medical emergency you may have, there's going to be comfort in knowing you're connected to 80,000 Christian households across the nation who stand ready to care for one another spiritually and financially. So become part of the community today at SamaritanMinistries.org slash unashamed. At SamaritanMinistries.org slash unashamed. And I'll be sure and get this to Missy. ASAP. But I did want to answer Phil's question, um, which, you know, specifically, I think it's kind of like what he said in Luke chapter 20. I thought you did that on purpose with the this trap question about the marriage and the resurrection. Because us as humans, it's hard for us to grasp phrases like that the end of the age that's right but it was it was hard for 
The Sadducees to grasp, obviously because they didn't believe in the afterlife. Yep. They're like, well, what if a woman is married seven times? Yeah. Now, how's that going to work at the end of the age? It doesn't use that phrase, but it's the same concept. What what, what happens next? A lot of them and, are just downright scared so, of Jesus of Mount well, Galilee. Well, true. And, but so then when Jesus responds in 34 of Luke 20, which is where we left off, you know, he said the people this age marry and are given in marriage, but those yep. who are considered worthy of taking part in that age, this this is why I brought this up, because it yeah. says, I'll be with you to the end of the age. But So he, he uses a phrase here, those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. So, I mean... To me, I think he's saying, I'll be with you to the end of the age, which is every point in time until he comes and we are then raised imperishable. And the reason I'm saying that That is because he says uh, people will neither be given in marriage, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they can no longer die. For they are like the angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. And then he goes to this, but in the account of the bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise. For he calls the Lord, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And I think this is my answer, this one phrase, for to him all our life. Yep. So that's what I was kind of wherever you are in this process, which now, if you're alive, you should be as those who have surrendered to Jesus, have the Holy Spirit. You are now via the spirit, Jesus on the earth. You are you're out there. The spirit is flowing out for the world. This was God's design. So and he's with us via his spirit and. Being at the right hand of There God. is a group coming that's beyond death. They, they've they conquered it. Well, right. But all these people who have died before, that's why he, he made this illustration about, you're like, well, why, why is he bringing up Moses showing that the dead rise? Because he's calling the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. And the God of Jacob. It, it's just like the transfiguration. Who shows up? Moses and Elijah. Elijah. Oh, so so Jesus is with you. I mean, God is with you to the very end of the age, no matter whether you're dead, alive, or I guess that would be the two categories. Yeah. Dead or alive. Yeah. Yeah. But I think so, that, that, that. But that phrase, though, this, that when you think about. Christ living in you and being with you in that connection with the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 uses the phraseology, uh, refers to the Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. Uh, and so there is that connection. Where even Christ is in his own um, challenge to, to his apostles in John 14 through John 17, which we talk about a lot on the podcast, is I mean, he says it's better that I don't leave because if I don't leave, he's not going to come. I think this is directly tied to everything we've been talking about with the temple and us being the living stones that are built upon the cornerstone, which is also referenced here in Luke 20, This that Jesus being the cornerstone of that temple. 
that, that, that God does live in us. Christ does dwell in us. He is with us till the end of the age and, and, and until the consummation, till the resurrection. And that's, I mean, that's essential because I think that it, without his presence, I mean, think about the whole, I was just telling, we had uh, Reeves that uh, came in for the wedding, Reeves scenes with with uh, on with Layla on the Sadie's LO original uh, group. But we were talking about that this morning about, I mean, you look at the whole like flow of Scripture. I think the arc of Scripture is all about God's presence. And it's got the tabernacle, the garden, the temple. God wants to dwell with his people. And then when the coming of Christ, God, Emmanuel, God with us. We just celebrated Christmas last month. God with us. Then the coming of the Spirit living in us. It is all about the connection with Christ. And I I think that that, that line that Phil was talking about is um, – is the ultimate comfort that God is not going to abandon us. And it's God's described to be as the Great Commission uh, yeah. on the heading. I don't know whether Matthew did that or the people who put the book together did that. Yeah, the Great Commission, and then it kind of explains what it is, and and it's quite the commission. I tell you that. Yeah, well, I like the phrase, I'm uh, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. I think where people have a problem with that is they look around on the earth and they say, people who don't believe, they say, well, it sure doesn't look like it. Some doubted then, some doubt today, Jace. Yeah, I know, but I'm saying if you just look at what's happening on the earth, people say, well, I don't believe I don't believe he has all authority on heaven and earth. And my point is that's where we come in. What I'm saying spirit is spirit filled people, we either can go to our rooms and hunker down, or we can go out there and be Jesus in the earth on the earth because he is in charge. It just doesn't look like it because we're humble. We serve, you know, the, the Sermon on the Mount kind of gives you the qualities of these kingdom like creatures, and happy, it's not flashy. Yeah. Happy New Year is sort of floating in my mind because a lot of newlyweds and anybody else that don't believe in Jesus, it's uh, it, it could be it could be rough. Well, there, yeah. I, I think Happy I think New that... Year has taken on new meaning <laughs> for uh, Son of God. Here, I'm looking at this. I'm thinking, boy. I mean, yeah, I think there's like something even like the un, that's deeper than our belief that 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 we're tapping into, which is, Phil, you mentioned it when you asked the question, how long did that take to basically watch your daughter be born, and then now you're you're marrying her. You you told me a, a while back, I, I jumped in your truck last time I was in town. I don't know if you remember saying this or not. He said, uh, you said, uh, that was the quickest 78 years I've ever lived. And, <laughs> and, and we, we got a chuckle out of it, but it was, I think this idea that it does move quick. And when you're, when you're in like these milestone, milestone moments in your life, like your daughter's getting married or whatever, or, or your mother passes or, you know, th- those are those moments where you kind of reflect on that. And you're, and you're like, man, gosh, that went by so fast. And when you were talking about that, I was thinking about Ecclesiastes three eleven, because you said it's you said the word beautiful. And it's a beautiful thing to watch, and this is what the the writer of Ecclesiastes says that he has made everything beautiful in its time. 
So it's this, this reference to the temporality of, of our life here. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yep. yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And I think that when we have those questions in our life, like, man, how, how fast was that? And you're sitting there contemplating this. It's what the Sadducees didn't really want to address with the resurrection, but it's like it, there is this longing. Like, th- it, I, I don't know what you do with that. And it's beyond a belief system. You know what I mean? I, we grew up, I grew up in a church. It's like, you got to believe the right way. Here's the belief system. If you get this right, then you're right. But, man, that really doesn't speak to the core of who I am. The core of who I am, there is this thing in my heart and I don't know what to do with it. There is a longing, and I think it's what what the writer says here. It's that God put eternity in my heart. I'm longing for something more than this world can give me. I'm, there, there, there's more, and I have this thing that's just dominated my entire existence. It, it it's about hope, and I think that's the, the 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 people who aren't believers. It's not that they, it's the the, the it's not that they don't cognitively understand it. That's not the core of it. It's that the the difference between a believer in Christ and a non-believer is that a, a believer in Christ has confronted the reality that there is this massive thing in me that I don't have an answer for. It's 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 a longing for eternity, is what it is. Yeah. But it's it's a confrontation with that and then a realization of that in Jesus. So I know when you look at me, you think, now there's a businessman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But you got to remember that what happens when your business was humming and then all of a sudden you start falling behind, the team gets buried in manual work and it's taking forever to close the books. Getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. Well, see, I see a spiritual connection here. Yeah. So, you know, you're humming along and all of a sudden you start falling behind and then you're like, I'm never going to come out of this and you're looking for some kind of truth to fix the problems. So So it's interesting, too, because they say they come up with three numbers. So to your spiritual application, we have a book in the Bible called Numbers. I'm good at numbers. You're good at numbers. So so here's what they say. There's three numbers that are going to help you with the problems that Jace mentioned. Hit me. This is from NetSuite uh, from Oracle. 37,025 and 1. Those were three different. Those are the three numbers. You got that? 37,000. and one. So 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. They're the number one financial cloud system, streamlined accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, everything. 25, that's the number that NetSuite turns this year. This is their 25th anniversary of helping businesses. That's solid. They're doing more with less. They close their books in days, not weeks. They drive down costs. And the last number, of course, number one, because your business is one of a kind, Jace, you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs. And Zach, we know that's the key performance indicators. In one efficient system with one source of truth. There's your biblical narrative, Jace. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, improve margins, everything you need to grow all in one place. So here's what you do. Download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance, absolutely free, at netsuite.com slash fill. netsuite.com slash fill to get your own KPI checklist. Check them out, netsuite.com slash fill.
But you mentioned, Zach, the presence of God, and that's so poignant because God has a constant presence because he's always in the present. When, when, when Jesus refers to Moses and him being the God of the I am, the reason all are alive in him is because he's always present. There's no past, present, and future for God. He's always present. He's outside yeah. of time. So when you're looking yeah. at the course of time and you're seeing us with a past, present, and then looking to a future, from God's perspective, you're just always there. He sees the whole picture, yeah. and he understands that. So therefore, he's always there. I mean, that's why he said, I am. You but, know? Yeah, before Abraham was, and then uh, yeah. speaking of the past well, tense. That's my point. I, am. I think we're missing it on the fact, though, of it's not understanding true power, the true kingdom, and truth. Yeah. You know, that conversation that Jesus had with Pilate was really, that was, it was just such a contrast of those three things, what, 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 what they are. Because people say, well, it doesn't look like Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth and has authority over heaven and earth because why is there so much evil? Why is there, why do bad things happen? Why? And I, what I'm getting at is that it, it's, that's us as the kingdom people. He's not sending in the tanks and the weapons. And you remember when Paul said the weapons we fight with are not of the world? That's why yeah. that, That's why they're not getting it, and that's why people are not getting it today. And that's why, is he right before we get to the Great Commission testimony, this story, mm-hmm. which we're discussing, has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. This thing is, wasn't, wasn't hidden. I mean, yeah. the, 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 what, what they get out of this. The well, when somebody life. comes back from the dead, that's why it took off. <laughs> I, I lean that way. <laughs> yeah, they call that a game changer. But I, I, I love what you said there, Jason, the, the, the kingdom, uh, power, and truth. And you cannot separate those three things. I mean, the, it's a, but the power is truth. I mean, that's that's the power of god you know it's it it's it's reality i mean it's it's what it, it is what drives and so the conversation you have with pilot i don't i don't think it's of any coincidence that that's the one thing that pilot was like truth what well, is true cuz he was just making it up but if you're in power yeah. well, you just make up your own truth and you say if you don't submit to that i'll kill you yeah, I mean, so let's think about like that. He at the time he had the power. The Roman Empire was the greatest power on earth, and if you think that's the goal, if that's the kingdom that we're looking for, and that's the how it's going to come through that kind of power, I think Jesus's message is is that it, it, you're thinking too small. Like it's way bigger than anything that we could construct here on planet Earth. No, that's why I find it fascinating that the first letter written after you know the acts of the spirit-filled people as, as Jesus is exalted is to the Romans. Because if you, you know, we just take that for granted. To them, Paul writing those famous verses like, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God yeah. for the salvation. And he said, you know, whoever confesses with, his, with their mouth, Jesus is Lord. What's that in contrast to? They say Caesar is Lord Caesar's and believe Lord. in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You know, you'll be saved. I mean, I'm sure those Romans were reading that like somebody needs to kill him. This is this is 
not only sacrilegious, but this is some kind of mutiny for yep. true power. Yep. But in essence, when you look at really what Jesus did, and when you talk about the enemies he defeated, he took it above what any ordinary kingdom could do. When you start defeating death itself and decay, things that we we don't look at as even possible to defeat. If you can defat death and decay, your yeah, kingdom the, is so much more above so anything beyond. that we're even trying to contemplate. That's why it doesn't look like Jesus has authority on the earth because people are looking at death and decay and say, well, why is he doing it? Well, he's defeated that. Where are the swords? Where are the swords and the knives and the and the and the and the wholesale slaughtered that overcoming well that's what everybody's looking for and then so then we have this whole theology about when jesus that that i don't uh ascribe to but that when jesus comes back then all of a sudden we're going to have a war you know a physical war all these powers it just seems yeah it just seems too small it's like uh you're talking about i love that you said about the decay because the second law of thermodynamics, which is a, I mean, this is a fundamental fact of science, is that things over time decay. I mean, that is one of the foundations of like physical science. And and you have a God who who created that law and instituted that law and can operate outside that law, can defeat that law, can whatever he wants to do, like to, to, to take that God and then let's put him in a, let's put him in a, uh, es- uh, eschatology that says, no, we're going to keep you in the physical realm. And that's where you used to, I mean, it, it, he's bigger. It's bigger. I think it's, he's way bigger. And the power's bigger because the power is, is, I mean, it's great if he comes in and that's awesome that he could set up, come here and brought, bring 10,000 angels and, you know, conquer the Roman empire and set up the temple and set up a kingdom. And that that's awesome. But how much more awesome is it? Is that even if you kill the guy, he just resurrected from the dead and continues on. I mean, that's even that, that's well, exactly. a bigger picture. And it's underestimating us being the temple of God on earth. That we're, while, while all this chaos is going on and wars and evil, and that's, that's when we're moving in. The peacemakers, yeah. the pure in heart, the humble, the persecuted. I mean, that he, he laid out in Luke chapter six what these qualities were going to look like. And, it's it's really true victory because your reliance on him, but it just doesn't seem like it if you're going to have this worldly view of what power is on the earth. So, I mean, that's well, you my think take. about though, Jay's just even historically, which is interesting because Jesus is going to paint a picture when we get to chapter twenty-one of this idea of what's going to happen to Jerusalem because this is the end of this era. But, you know, Pilate is speaking from this position of power, like, what are, you, what are you talking to me about? Truth is whatever I say it is, because I'm in charge of this moment. That's what he was thinking. Yeah. But think about it. At the end of this, when he gets to 70 AD, Nero commits suicide. He, at that time, was the emperor, and he was crazy. is a bed bug. And he commits suicide. Well, then there were four different emperors in succession before we even get to AD 70. That all happened quick. The whole Roman Empire is in complete chaos. Yeah, it's unraveling. Yep. It was just unraveling. It, that happened when, when Jerusalem was destroyed. So even 30 years ahead, Jesus is trying to paint a picture of something so much bigger 
But in that moment, Pilate could only see who was in charge today. Which which is the the difference is where Jay started with this when he talked about uh, it being uh, not inward but an outward flow. If you think about what the these earthly power structures have in common is it's all about the consolidation of power. It's 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 grab it, bring it in, bring our bring it into the scope of our kingdom, and it's it's all about a consolidation of an inward pull. And what Jesus, the kingdom that Jesus brings is not that kind of kingdom. It's a kingdom that spills out. Yep. And so you go like the, to the woman at the well. That, that was the whole point at the woman at the well. He says, you drink the water that I, I give you, it actually becomes a – you don't have to come to a place to draw water to drink. If you drink this water, you'll never thirst again. It will become in you a spring welling up to eternal life. It's a fountain. It's just flowing out of you. I think exactly. that is a key characteristic that's different from earthly kingdoms. Earthly kingdoms pull inward. God's kingdom exactly. just spews outward. And that's, what, that's what, what happens in the church. And that's why the, you know what's wrong? You know why the Dead Sea is dead? And I've, it was worth me going to Israel just to jump in the Dead Sea. And be careful because when you jump, you're going to bounce. You know, because you can't sink in the Dead Sea. But you know why it's the Dead Sea? You know what the problem is? Salt. Water only flows in, doesn't flow out. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just too crazy that there happens to be right in the middle of this. Go read your Bible. And and when he said in John 7, which I want to get to in in our next section, these streams of living water would flow from within you. Yeah, that's good. Well, where's that going to flow? It's going to flow out. Because if it's all coming in, you're back to selfish ambition. So I think it's a perfect time. I want to read this next text because this will lead us since you set it up, Jays. Because it's no accident that after what we just talked about, and this comes out of what he said at that when he was talking to the Sadducees about he's not the God of the dead, but of the living for to him, all who are alive. The next thing Jesus is going to say is going to be a powerful illustration of just what that looks like, because he's going to go back and he's talking about who he is, but he's going to go back to David again. He's mentioned in names that all these people are realizing they know who he's talking about. So here's what he says next. And this is going to take us into this next section. In verse 41 of Luke 20, Jesus said to them, How is it that they say the Christ, or the Messiah, is the son of David? Because David himself declares in the book of Psalms, and then he's going to quote Psalm 110.1, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And then he's, then he's going to ask them the question, David calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? So we've been talking about this idea of time and outside of time and inside of time. And then he basically puts it back on them and says, how is it that David is referring to me? Because that's who he's talking about is himself. When I'm here, you know, 1,500 years later, who is he talking about? You talk about a stumper. If you're not understanding the idea of the true Messiah and what he was purposed to do, that's what he's asking the question. They don't really have an answer for him, but that's the question that he proposes. And you, so can, Jay, see that, the, and you can see the fruit come. Uh, Sunday morning, I baptized a guy. I asked him where he's from, and he named where he was from Canada. He came 
to another great power, United States of America. But I didn't point him to either. I pointed him to Jesus dying on the cross, being buried and raised from the dead. And the Canadian, what you know what he did, Al? He cried. And when mm-hmm. we went to the baptismal pool, he was crying. He was of a different empire altogether. But it's greater than empires. It crosses cross sections, everything, yeah. no matter where you're from. China, Russia, Canada, whatever. But uh, I saw it in action just unfolding right before me Sunday morning. I baptized him. And uh, so he left here very, very, very humble and thankful that he had found the way out of what exactly what we're talking about. Make disciples. Well, we made one, two of them. Actually, there was a woman and, and him. But, uh, That's good. It was a cool thing to watch it, you know, because I said, you know what? This is greater than earthly empires, far greater. Can I read this? Uh, yeah. First Chronicles 17, because, you know, I read this. I think this is really powerful uh, of what people, you know, or what we call the Davidic covenant, this promise that he's referring to. And then he, then he quotes. So in First Chronicles 17, and I'll just read the uh, first, uh, you can read the whole chapter, you know, in your own time, but just to kind of go in with why I think it's here in Luke, right after this conversation about marriage and the resurrection and the end of the age and that kind of thing. In verse one, it says, after David was settled in his palace, he said to Nathan, the prophet, here I am living in a palace of cedar while the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord is under a tent. And so Nathan interrupts him and says, well, whatever you have in mind, do it, for God is with you. And so before you, you go on to that, but David even recognized, here's, here's the Lord in this tent. We're going out there and having this interaction with the Lord. He's sitting there li- living in a palace, which I guess... A, a house built by cedar trees was a palace back then. Well, that night the word of God came to Nathan and he goes through this deal about him, the Lord uh, overcoming his enemies. But when he gets to the second part of verse 10, this is what I want to read. It says, I will, I will also subdue all your enemies. I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you when your days are over. And you go to be with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him as I took it away from your predecessor. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. And then he, you know, I told him to go tell that. So when you look at, you know, Jesus referring to going back to David on someone who even how David became king to get back to this idea, it's not what the world views as far as power. You remember, he was just a young sheep herder. And then all of a sudden, he's thrust into this moment where one of the most famous stories in the Bible is him going down and going to fight this giant. 
You know, he gets the five rock. You know, we tell that story, I think, so much because we deep down like that idea that we could crush people even while they got swords and even tanks and all. We could just, you know, get a rock and a slingshot. But I think it's a picture of how God's kingdom was going to be different, how it was going to use the humble and the weak looking and the serving through his power. This is going to be a different kind of kingdom. But yep. but you notice how many times he's saying it's it forever. Has, It'll be it eternal. It has eternity in its hand. I mean, I love that picture. Because you read this and you think, okay, well, all of a sudden he's bringing up, how is it that that they say the Christ is the son of David? You know, which doesn't seem like that big a deal until you fast forward and realize when you have the Holy Spirit of God, it looks like this world looks like a big giant Goliath. And here you are, you know, down and you're not very powerful. You, you're the most least likely candidate to yeah. be powerful or truthful or do anything significant with your life. And here you are full of the spirit doing things that the world thinks are weak, loving and and addressing injustice have not changed yeah and then all of a sudden you're 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 actually reigning on the earth through the power of god it just is camouflaged because it's not this brute physical attack and takeover in these worldly kingdom eyes which even even solomon was you're reading at a the Second Chronicles. I was thinking about another passage, well, one in First Kings six, where Solomon did build the temple that housed the the Ark of the Covenant. Eventually, uh, David never built it; Solomon built it, uh, and he was instructed by the Lord because he said, "Build build a house that I can so I, I can dwell with my people." A couple of chapters later, um, Solomon says basically that he has built this house so that God could. This is in First uh, Kings eight. Solomon said, the Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. Now you think about like what you were talking about, you get, but you get so hung up on that earthly, if you think about it, just think about it. How big is a God that can only dwell, that would just, that would dwell in a temple made by man's hands? And I love the fact that even Solomon, before Jesus ever unfolded the full picture of what we're talking about here, Solomon saw it. He, 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 on some level, he questioned how that was even possible because in verse 25, he says, um, uh, or no, verse 27, he says, but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple that I built? And I love that because it's like he's recognizing in that moment how small it is to think that God's going to simply be in, in these kingdoms that we construct. And so when you get to this text that we're talking about here in Luke, they're questioning the validity of Jesus because they're, because they're thinking so earthly that they don't understand all of the Old Testament prophecies, all of the Messianic Psalms, like they don't understand the context of them because they, they're, they're thinking too small. And I would argue that the majority of the New Testament is actually explaining the Old Testament. I mean, Paul in Romans basically says, I'm going to interpret the Old Testament prophets 
for you. And he, he brings the revelation to the Gentiles by bringing the full light, the, the prophet Isaiah, Daniel, all these Old Testament prophets, or Matthew, for example. How does Matthew begin his entire gospel? With a genealogy of what? Of how Jesus is the son of David. So, I mean, he goes through the entire genealogy to, to show that no, Jesus came from the line of David. And the point is, and, and he references Isaiah 7 as well um, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 1 about the virgin birth, because what is he, what he's, what he's doing there, he said all those Old Testament prophecies, this is the guy they were talking about. They were all pointing to the person of Jesus. That's why I don't think it's uh, that this is so pivotal what the Sadducees are attacking here. I mean, they're attacking the core of who Christ is and the, and, and, and the claims of the Old Testament. But the, again, this is what makes it the great I am, because I believe the reason why Solomon was the one who built the temple and then the secession that went on from the line of David went through those kings yeah. is because when he when God told David he was going to have something greater come from him. He was leaping all the way to Jesus because in him, he is the temple. He is the priest. That's why if you read later in Psalm 110, he brings up Melchizedek, who the Hebrew writer, to your point, Zach, explains exactly why Melchizedek is in the Bible, because he's out of the line of secession. He's God picked him. Jason made the point. He picked this young shepherd boy to be his king, and from him would come the eternal king, another Shepherd that would come along in the when the time was right in the days of the Romans. So a, a priest who was not in the order of Le, of the tribe of Levi, exactly. Which which you know Bill Smith used to make this point. I took his advanced leadership class on Hebrews, and I thought this is one of the greatest points he made in the whole thing. Was just how do we trace legitimate priesthood now? Yeah, you can't. You can't. You can't because of why? Well, the temple burned in eighty seventy. There's no. How do we trace these? So it, it almost like you see the how this history unfolded, and man, it's like th- there had to be a reestablishment of of a new high priest, and so Jesus takes on the role of not just priest. Yes, he is high priest, but he's also high prophet, and, and he's king. also high king. That's right. Well, well you're right. Priest, but prophet, I, and king. I remember being in that class and sleeping. With my eyes open for most of it. <laughs> I thought you were well, right. Because you bring up Melchizedek and the Levitical priesthood, and, and you're right, I was going to bring this up in Psalm 110 where he brought up that he, he would come in the order of Melchizedek. And a lot of people listen like, well, who, who is that? Well, I woke up in that class, and I'm <laughs> talking about right woke time. up literally, figuratively, and spiritually <laughs> when <laughs> when he read... Hebrews 7, where it said that Jesus became our priest, our high priest, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, because he had just said in uh, verse 15 of Hebrews 7, another one like Melchizedek will appear, and he will be our priest, not on the basis of regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of of an indestructible life. Yep. And all of a sudden, it's like all this stuff in the Old Testament and talking about David and going back in the order of Melchizedek. And that's very hard for Americans who don't know, especially Jewish history, which I'm I'm in that camp, and, and find it difficult to listen to for long periods of time. But all of a sudden, when you start realizing that God worked this out through history, and now he became our priest, 
not on some kind of regulation or whatever you wanted to come up with his ancestry, but on the fact that he's indestructible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, yeah. Get, I get the reason he was like Melchizedek, and maybe we can get in that, you know, on our part two of this. I just simply wanted to say, when I, when I read that in my simple mind, when I read that in First Chronicles 17, and I think it is fascinating that it's a prophecy and, and Jesus fulfilled it and, and the kingdom is here and, and we're supposed to be doing kingdom business here. That, that's why we're here. But I found it fascinating that that whole conversation and that prayer came from this idea that David was sitting there thinking, this doesn't seem right, that I'm in a palace and the Lord's in a tent. What what is wrong with this picture? Yeah. And then when you and fast forward to our lives later and you, and you look at the New Testament where Paul says he brings this whole idea about if our tent is destroyed and this all these kind of things and 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 remember that God's going to send his holy spirit to us and that's coming here you know from Luke's passage in all the gospels it's going to that where here we are we, I mean, especially our crew, when people see us and you say, boy, here's the kingdom of God. Not only are we, you know, have these tents as bodies, but our tents are downright appalling. <laughs> you know what I'm so, saying, uh, be- before, you, before you end us, I just want to say one thing, because I, because I, just to reiterate this, if you didn't catch this, you said, why, why are they talking about Melchizedek and why are they in Hebrews 7? It's because... That when we, the Sadducees quote Psalms 110, which is, which in that psalm directly after what they quote is this stuff about Melchizedek. So it all ties together. Which to the point, my point earlier, I do believe the, the Old Test, the New Testament, it brings yeah. to to light all of this. It, it just which is the point of the Book of Hebrews. Yeah. All right. So we're out of time, but uh, so much more to explore in this text, and we we're just scratching it here. We'll, uh, we'll do some more of this in overtime if you want to follow us. Uh, BlazeTV.com slash Unashamed is where you can get our overtime segment. And so check it out. We'll see you on the other side. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube. And be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, Subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.